Well, again, just so thankful to be here in the Lord's house with you today, and uh, excited to see what what the Lord has to say. I've been ruminating on on this for for a while now, and just uh, um, I hope that uh, I hope that it touches you. Hope the Lord speaks to you. As many of you know, I've had uh, a couple of surgeries here uh, the last several months. Uh, one on my cervical vertebra and one on my my uh, lumbar vertebra, and uh, um, just uh, recovering, doing much better. So thankful um, for medical care and the privilege of medical care, and just just recovering. Um, you know, six months ago. Uh, even less than that, I, I wouldn't have been able to, to stand up here and do this. So I'm very thankful for that, and I've uh, been, been doing a lot of, a lot of working out and, and, uh, and hiking and walking and exercises and, and just really, really trying to get uh, back to full strength. Um, are you familiar with the need of having to get back into the gym? Does that, does that resonate with anybody? Right. Maybe getting back into the pool or getting back on trails or uh, getting back into the program of getting back into shape. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very familiar with that. Uh, I hang out with, with a couple of athletes that uh, are very concerned about staying, uh, staying on, on the program and, and uh, making the most of, of their, their time and their, and their dedication. Well, this uh, past uh, June, June 18th, uh, we had a Christ and Culture uh, conference here, uh, June 18, 19, and 20. And uh, on the Friday night, uh, right here um, on June 18th, um, I was struck by a, a quote that hit me. And uh, I really just have been thinking a lot about this um, lately, and thus kind of where we go today. Um, but it was from it was from John MacArthur, and, and he said this uh, when asked, you know, what is the, you know, the most important thing for the church? And he said, right now, discernment is the most important thing for the church. Discernment is the most important thing for the church. And he went on and added, he said, discernment is the spiritual immune system for the believer. And uh, and I I I think he's right on. I I'm just like wow that. That uh, it is very true. That is where we are at. And uh, in First John four one, uh, it says, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world." And that is what we need to be about. We need to be about testing um, the spirits, testing the words we hear, testing the things that 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 we experience. Um. I think sometimes we uh, take off mentally and either don't pursue the things of the Lord or we're just content with being spoon-fed stuff, you know, spoon-fed things. Um, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, listen to a, I'll listen to a podcast or whatever and that'll, that'll be... And by the way, nothing wrong with great podcasts. Nothing wrong with, with biblical-centered podcasts. Absolutely. Listen to those things. Yes, put these in your mind. But, but this isn't what we rely on. We don't rely on other people's work to do our work for us. Okay, That, that, that doesn't make sense. Um, and so spiritually, God desires for us to seek him, to genuinely seek him. And we need to be about that. I can't do that for you. 
I can spend time in his word and I can talk with you and I can help you, but you need to seek the Lord for your work. And, and I think this is, a, this is a critical time in our culture to get back into the spiritual gym, if you will. We need to discipline ourselves and grow in our biblical discernment. And I, I, I truly believe that. How would you do if I asked, uh, you know, the Proverbs 15 passage that I read, you know, what, 10 minutes ago or something like that? How would you do if I asked you uh, what that said? Um, can you quote a verse for me? Can you, can you help me with that? I mean, you do remember that I did read a passage, right? You remember that? Okay, good. All right, good. We're there. Uh, you know, but I get it. Well, I was, I'm pretty sure wisdom and fools were in there somewhere, and, uh, and you would be good. That's about, you know, 90% of Proverbs. But, uh, um, but you understand my point. Sometimes we just kind of let things kind of just cruise past and we don't really, hmm, I need to think about that for a while. I need, I need, I need to put some time into that. I need, to, I need to study that. That's really what we, what we need to do. We need to put time into God's Word. You know, the pursuit of knowledge has changed with technology, has it not? Pursuit of knowledge, change, uh, education in general has changed with technology. And these past however many months, education has changed incredibly, right? Um, but, but technology has, has changed uh, significantly. If you want to know the answer to a question now, you know, all you got to do is ask your best friend, right? Siri, Alexa, hey Google, uh, wife. Well, that's for me. I don't know about you, but anyway. Um, but it's not just about getting answers to questions. It's about, it's about gaining knowledge. We need to know how to think. Wisdom is much more than thinking, okay? It's, it's, it's much more than that, and we, we need to learn how to think with godly wisdom. Because knowledge without wisdom or discernment is dangerous. It is very dangerous. Do, do you know anybody who is incredibly intelligent, very smart, um, just amazing that way, but you would not trust their common sense. Do you know anybody like that? Uh, I do. And they are so intelligent, it's amazing. It blows me away, but I'm not, I'm not going to trust their common sense. I'm not going to them for common sense. I'm not doing it, right? Excuse me. Wisdom, or knowledge without wisdom or discernment is very, very dangerous. And thus we, uh, the, we come to Proverbs 2, a uh, passage that I want, to, uh, I want to go through today. And it speaks uh, to the need of godly discernment. In, in this passage, I'm going, to read, I'm going to read the whole chapter here. Uh, there is a word that is related to discernment. I'm going to make you do a little, a little work, a little thinking here. See if you can come up with it. And, and there's a lot of related words here, but see if you can... See if you can well, I was going to say, see if you can think like me, but I wouldn't put that on you. Just see if you can come up with a word that is related uh, to discernment, okay? Is related to discernment. I want you to listen for that. Here we go. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding... If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Excuse me. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. Every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. Delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the way of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep, the pa- to, and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inherit the land, inhabit the land, I'm sorry, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Okay, did you hear it? Did you hear a word related to discernment? Okay, this is a time when you can actually speak. All right. Huh? Anybody? Insight, yeah. What else? There's a, there's a lot in there. Understanding, yes. Anything else? Discretion. That was the one that I had. Discretion. A lot of those are related to discernment. Yes, absolutely. But discretion... Discretion was one that, that hit me. Webster's uh, definite, uh, oh, let me back up. Webster's is a, is a really big, thick, hardbound book, okay? It's a dictionary, and you, you look at it, and you can flip pages, and you can look up definitions of all kinds of words. Most of them, you have no idea what they mean. That's hence Webster's Dictionary, right? No, Webster wrote this, and, and uh, it's been updated a little bit. But it's a, it's a very useful advice, uh, device. Um, it's a whole lot better than Wikipedia. I'll just, I'll just leave it right there. Okay, so uh, Webster has a, a, a definition for discretion, and uh, that definition is the power to decide according to one's own judgment. And, and discretion does have other implications. It does have other, other uh, meanings, but, uh, but, I, but I really like, and, and I think that's the one that we kind of want to focus on here with uh, discernment, is the power to decide according to one's own judgment. But using your own judgment is that part of, dis- of discretion that links up with discernment. Wisdom allows discretion to lead in a positive and, more importantly, a godly way if we have wisdom. Uh, the source of wisdom, according to, to Proverbs uh, two six that we just read, is the Lord. Um, Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Okay? He is the source of that, that wisdom. You know, sometimes in life, um, knowing the right thing to do is not the problem, is it? I mean, honestly. You know the right thing to do. That's not the problem. The problem is 
we love our sin more than we love God. That's, that's the problem. Or we, or we don't have the strength to stand up under the weight of the temptation. That's the problem. Okay? It's not knowing the right thing to do. Often we, we are very well aware of what that is. But we're told, we're promised in God's word, God will provide a way of escape, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13 uh, tells us that God will provide a way of escape for us when we are tempted. But we need to exercise our no muscles. This is a, this is a very familiar terminology to my children. Uh, we need to exercise our no muscles, and we need to be experienced at using our no muscles, is what I call it, okay? Now, you got to understand, you're dealing with a, a PE teacher, a health teacher, okay, that's just, it, it is what it is, all right? That's, that's, that's what I got. So, so we're going to the gym, we're going to the spiritual gym today, all right? And we'll work on exercising our no muscles. We need to strengthen our ability to tell ourselves no in the small areas of life, so that we have the strength to tell ourselves no in the heavy, massive, incredibly difficult areas of life. Those little areas, they might not even be sins. It might not be that big a deal. But you know it's a step. You know it's a lean. You know it's a tilt towards a way that is not good for you, a way that God doesn't want you to go, right? And so we need to be strong in those little areas and really invest in those little ones so that the massive areas we're able to, we're able to stand up under. Well, verses uh, 1 through 4 here at Proverbs chapter 2 has, uh, has three ifs in it, okay? And, and they're, they're big ifs, okay? These are big ifs. Um, verse 1, uh, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, okay, so those are, those are the ifs, those are... Those are big. Um, verse 2 uh, talks about listening intently, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Okay, so it's, so it's listening intentively. That's, that's a big if. That's a big, we need to listen intently. Uh, verse 3, you know, desiring, uh, humbly, submissively desiring um, the Lord, the wisdom. Uh, verse 3, yes, if you call for insight, raise your voice for understanding. You're calling, you're begging, you're asking the Lord. You're submitting, you're saying, I don't got it. I don't have the wisdom, I don't have the strength, I don't have the insight, whatever. I'm going to submit underneath here. That's what you're doing, okay? So you're, you're submitting yourself, then you're humbly doing that. Okay, that's the if. And then, uh, and then the third if there is seeking earnestly. It's earnestly seeking. Look, it says, uh, you seek it like silver to search for it for hidden treasures. Okay? So we know this is something valuable. This is something that's important. The genre of searching for hidden treasure, think about the number of shows or movies or whatever that are about searching for hidden treasures. There's a lot of them, aren't there? It's a pretty significant genre. And you kind of get in there, oh, I, w- I want to see this. I wonder how. I don't know where it is, I, right? It, it draws you in. It's seeking. It's passion. You're going for it. That's what needs to happen here with wisdom. That's, that's how we need to approach godly wisdom is seeking, desiring, uh, going, going for it, earnestly seeking that. 
You know, these three sound like challenges to strengthen our pursuit of the Lord muscles, our no muscles, no to self, yes to the Lord. That's what these are. That's what God is calling us to here in the first few verses of of Proverbs 2. You know, as I was uh, studying, preparing, and, and uh, thinking about other, other, reading about other people's views on this passage, I came across a quote from Dwayne Garrett about wisdom, which I thought was really good. And so uh, let me share that with you. Um, wisdom gives both pleasure and sure-footedness in life. The more wisdom one learns, the more one desires and enjoys it. The more wisdom one learns, the more one desires and enjoys it. Is that not true? When you start tasting the, the, the value, the fruit, this wisdom, this knowledge, and you're just going, oh, I need more of this. I need more of this. And go, it, it is motivating. It is. And, and that's the way it should be. That's what God has for us, and that's how we should pursue it. You know, in a proven literary style that, uh, that you know, is... is is well known. Uh, if there's ifs, there's got to be thens, right? Okay, so we've got three ifs, we've got two thens, all right? It's, it, it's right here in verses 5 uh, and 9. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Verse 9, Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. You know, verse, uh, verse 5, it's, uh, it says, The word will make sense to you. You will understand the fear of the Lord and will find knowledge. So if, then, you will understand the word. You want to understand the word of the Lord? you gotta, you got to... Put some time in it. Um, one of the things that is common in, uh, in athletic realms is uh, if you're going to improve in your, in your chosen craft and your passion and your goals, you've got to do the work. Okay? You've got to put work in. All right? I've got to do the work. Well, I trust in my work. I, I mean, there's a lot of it. But it's, but it's doing the work. If you're not putting the work in, you're not going to see the results. Very simple. Very easy. We know this. Well, it's the same thing here with, with God's Word. If we don't put the work in, if you're not willing to put the work in, you just want to be spoon-fed, guess what? You're not going to get that much. You've got to put the work in. You've got to go to the gym. And so uh, the Lord, verses 6 and 7, the Lord is the source of, of wisdom. Look at this. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is the source of wisdom. If you want to be wise, if you want knowledge and understanding, go to the source. Go to the one who's got them. Why do, why do, we, why do we do this? I don't know. I don't got an answer. But we go all sorts of places rather than going to the source. We need to go to the source. Out of his mouth, God speaks to us. That's what it says here. God speaks to us through his word. These are God's words that, uh, that he has given to us. Go to the source. Go to his word and see what he has to say to you. Okay? Well, verses 7 and 8 uh, gives us another uh, perspective on God. He is the source of wisdom, but he's also the protector. 
Uh, listen to verse 7. He stores up uh, sound wisdom um, for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. He's a shield. He is a guard. He is our protection. He is, he is there uh, shielding us from the attempts of the evil one. There, And, and so we need to, we need to uh, be there for him. We need to invest in him. We need to, we need to go to him so that he is there, our source for wisdom, but also our protection, shielding us from those things that, that either distract us or confuse us or trying to stir up and, and, and make things more difficult or, or more complicated than they are, right? Well, verse 9 you know, if we spend time with the source of wisdom, we are told um, the things that we will understand. Listen to verse 9. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. Have you heard any of those words in our culture lately? Righteousness, just well, maybe not righteousness so much, uh, but justice and equity. You heard those words? Oh yeah, those are all over the place, right? They're all, and there's a lot of definition, a lot of talk. What does that mean? Who's right? Okay, and 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 we got that. I I went back again to to Noah Webster, defining equity. You know what does equity mean? He and uh, he had justice according to natural law or right. Freedom from bias or favoritism. Okay, that's, that's equity. I just got to ask us, whose, whose opinion do you value? Whose opinion do you trust? There's so much talk today about justice and equity. Um, who do you listen to? Are you interested in God's definition of these terms? Would, would, would seem to make sense. We should seek the Lord and his word for true meaning of these words. What, what, is, it, what is he meaning by this? What, what is that about? Not only was his definition first, right? All right? He, he, he came up with it here. But he is the source of knowledge. He's the source of righteousness. He's the source of equity. We should go to the source and see um, where this is at. Language changes. Does it not... Language changes all the time. I'm reminded of this all the time. Half the conversations in our house, I have no idea what they're talking about because I don't, I don't know. But, but I'm reminded, uh, I was youth pastor here for just, just shy of 20 years, um, and so I worked with a lot of junior high and high school kids. And uh, I'm reminded one time um, where, where language, my language failed me, um, one of many, of course, but uh, this one in particular, understanding. Uh, so we were playing a game. It's a game where uh, you're, uh, you're, you're sitting in a circle of chairs, okay, and every chair is filled. There's a kid in every chair, and there's one person in the middle, okay? And the game is this. Uh, the person in the middle doesn't want to be in the middle. You want to be in a chair. You don't want to be in the middle. That's not the good place to be, okay? And so um, outside of, you know, the the middle child who uh, has a lack of attention in the home and really wants everyone to look at him. Outside of that, no one else wants to be in the middle. But anyway, okay, so, so they're in the middle, and they, what they do is they ask a question, and if that question is true about you, you have to get up from your chair and you have to go to another chair, okay? It's very simple. Um, if, there's only, if you're the only one that it's true about, well, you, you lose, and they get up, and you're in the middle, and, and, and they sit down, right? Okay, and it goes like this. So, you know, kids are flying all, you know, they're asking all, you know, questions like, uh, you know, 
Have you, uh, have you ever flown a kite? You know, have you, you know, do you have a cat? Whatever. So, okay. Uh, well, uh, so I'm sitting there, and I'm a little, you know, I'm on the competitive side. So I'm sitting on, kind of on the edge of my chair. I, I really don't want to be in the middle. I really don't want to, not that it's a big deal, but I don't want to be in the middle, you know. I want to show these kids, you know, not in the middle. And so this kid comes up in the middle, and he asks this question, and I'm ready to leap, and he goes, Are you tight? And I, and this is at least 15 years ago, all right? And I was like, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what he's asking me right now. I have, I, have, I have no idea. What he was asking is, are you in the in crowd? Are you with it? Are you, you know, are you cool? You know, that's, that's what he was asking, you know. I was not, so it was a good thing that I stayed seated, you know. But, uh, but I, just, I just had no idea. And so he asked the question, and I'm just like, Kids are jump. I don't know. I got no idea. Language changes, right? Language changes. Words change all the time. You know, um, it's it's interesting. We we need to be careful when language changes. We need to go back to sources and we need to see not only where that word was, original meaning of the word, right? Um, and you do this in biblical study with, with helps from, you know, Koine Greek and Hebrew, right? You, 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 you want to understand the original meaning of the word, what it was about, and that's what, that's what biblical scholars and pastors and, and students do. Um, but we want to also, in our, in our society, we want to know what words we're using and what they mean and, and how they're at. We, do, we just need to know that. And, and really, God's word doesn't change, our language has changed. God's word doesn't change. And we need to go back to the source, the Lord, uh, for our knowledge because it doesn't change. He clarifies things in life so that we have his knowledge. And then he protects us from those that are seeking to take that knowledge away or disturb that knowledge. When we go to the spiritual gym, we find our strength source and our knowledge coach that protects us from injury. And that is the Lord. Well, as we continue on here in, in uh, chapter 2, verse 10, um, uh, 10 through uh, 11 here, it says, For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. You know, wisdom of, of the heart, knowledge of the soul. We're talking about the core of our very being. Uh, we're talking about uh, God's wisdom, God's knowledge speaks to our very core of our being, and that, and that uh, comes out of us, and, and, uh, and that is what is in us there. Discretion, verse, uh, verse 11. Um, when we have godly discretion, we see evil for what it really is, evil. We are not confused or swayed by clever schemes. We're not. We see it. We have biblical discernment. That is what we need. Biblical discernment based on God's word, able to see through these schemes, able to analyze it, and and have a wise decision of it. We need not be swayed by the redefinition of terms or words. Well, this next section talks about two uh, tempters that every young person, every person 
Uh, it's young man is written, uh, you know, as Solomon writes to his son here, but it's, but it's for every one of us, and every one of us faces these, these temptations uh, time to time. The first one is, uh, is evil, and uh, it would be speaking towards easy gain, towards, uh, you know, the love of money, popularity, acceptance. There's, there's all kinds of, of many things uh, regarding evil, but those are, those are some that, that are pretty common to, uh, to deal with, to be tempted with. The second uh, thing that we're tempted with is sexuality. And we will see an emphasis as we continue on here on non-attachment or no commitment with sexuality. And, uh, and that, that is critical to, to understand uh, how destructive that is. In both of these, uh, we follow our fleshly passions and do not say no to ourselves. We just, we just take that little step. We take that little step. We take that little step, and we don't, we don't say with our no muscles, no, I'm not going there. Not because that's a sin, because I know where that leads, and I'm not going there. Well, first, evil. And, and I want you to notice the digression of evil, how, how this how this spirals down, evil spirals down, okay? So, so starting in, in verse 12 here. Uh, Delivering you from the, e- from the way of evil, from the men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness, who walk in the, path, in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Well, the... Perverted speech um, is, is what's uh, staying there uh, at the beginning in, in verse 12. You know, Luke 6.45 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? I had that quoted to me many times when I was a young lad growing up. My mother, she loved to tell me that. You know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can say, well, I didn't mean it. No, that word didn't come from me. Guess what? That's where it started. It's in your heart. It wouldn't have come out of your mouth if it wasn't in your heart. So you own it. That's where it came from. Okay? Call it what it is. And the more time we spend about around people with perverted speech, the more at ease, less upset, less uncomfortable we are with perverted speech, right? That is just the way it is. That is just the way it is. When I, when I first came up to Alaska, this is a bonus story. I didn't tell the first hour of this, so you guys you know, get a bonus here. But when I first came up to Alaska, there was a waiting list in Anchorage to put your application in, in the Anchorage School District, to be on the sub list. I couldn't even apply to be a sub. That's how many there were. And then there was, uh, you know, oil prices fell and, and all things, crazy things happened and, and whatever. And I finally got a, got a teaching job. But I worked out at the airport putting food on planes. And I remember walking out of, of uh, my work. It was, it was a really good job. I enjoyed the people I worked with. Um, very few believers there. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Had a great time. Had great conversations. Um, a lot of good stories. But I remember walking out of work, work and my... My ears are just ringing with, with the F-bomb uh, going off in my mind as I walk out because I'm surrounded by it all the time, right? And it's just, we know this. And so the downward spiral, it, it warns us against, uh, against preferred speech. Uh, verse 13, 
forsaking uprightness to walk in darkness. You're not just starting to walk. You're, you're turning your back on righteousness. And you're walking towards darkness. That's what you're doing. You're, you're making this, this turn. You're, you're pursuing. You're going. Okay? And that's, that's the next step of this, of this downward spiral. Verse 14, you rejoice in evil. Yes, even delight in the pervasive, perverseness of evil. This is a huge change. This is a huge change. You're rejoicing in evil. You are delighting in the perverseness of the things that you used to not delight in. You used to think it was perverse, and now you're delighting in that. That's what happens. You continue to go down this this spiral. That's what it is. It is a 180-degree reversal of where you were going. You were going here, pursuing the Lord. Now you're going here, and you're going away from the Lord. Okay, So it's that that downward spiral. And verse 15 it, it says, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. They're, they're crooked and devious, and you're, you're aligning yourselves, delighting yourselves in those ways. That's what happens. That's, that's what we're warned about here. Okay? Well, I want to spend the rest of my time here on an evil temptation that has ravaged our society and our, and our world, really. And Satan knows that the bond and the pleasure that sexual intimacy brings is so strong that he seeks to corrupt it in any way he possibly can. Society is willfully corrupting one of God's greatest gifts, the strength of the marriage bond. And we see that all around. Verses 16 uh, through 22, it contrasts righteousness with delighting in evil and the marriage covenant with pursuing adultery. Look at this. So you'll be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Let's, let's, let's stop there. So in verse 16, we read that the young man is led away with smooth words, right? Smooth words, silky smooth words, flattering words, flirtatious words, okay? And uh, he, is, he is led away. Words that we really want to hear, that are pleasing, that are enjoyable, all right? Those are the things that, that lead us down this path. The forbidden woman, um, the translation forbidden woman, um, strange woman, foreign woman, those are, those are other uh, translations and uses of this word. It's, it's, it's the culturally immoral or pagan woman is, is what it is. It is one that's not acceptable to align yourself with Israel. You know, do not be un- unequally yoked. That's, that's what this is talking about. So it's, a, a, it's an unacceptable person to align yourself with. That's the, that's the, the, the pagan woman, the, the foreign woman um, uh, that is there. You know, and I just, I just need to say here, um, females are not the only one who lead people into sexual sin. Do you know this? Females are not the only one who lead people into sexual sin. Many examples in our day and even in our churches, men lure women into sexual sin. So you just need to know this is not a gender-specific threat. All of us are a threat uh, in, in this way. 
Well, Solomon is the author of these Proverbs, correct? Does anyone find it ironic that Solomon is giving this advice to his son? Well, he has some experience, so that, you know, he knows. You know, Solomon, uh, we read in 1 Kings 11, uh, 1 through 4, he loved many foreign women. God had commanded Israel, do not marry foreign women because they will take your heart away from me. You will give your heart to them and it will be taken away from me and it will go and you will pursue their gods. That's, that's what we were told, right? That's, that was what was commanded there. And so Solomon, wisdom, did he have wisdom? Yeah, he had wisdom. He was given incredible amounts of wisdom. But, uh, and, we'll, and we'll talk about that here in a second, he, he loved many foreign women, 1 Kings 11 says. He broke God's commandments. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I just get nervous thinking about anniversaries and birthdays. How would you even, I don't know. His wives turned his heart away from God. When he was old, Scripture tells us, his wives turned his heart away from God. And you remember, he, he built in the high places, places for his wives to worship their gods. Okay, And this was, was Solomon. And, and God, God let him stay in power, let him keep his throne for the sake of his father David, we're told. Okay, um, But uh, we see it changes here uh, really quickly, really quickly after... Uh, after Solomon dies. But what we're looking at is the old saying of, do as I say, not as I do, right? Right? I don't care what I did. Do what I say. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that, that doesn't work very well. Solomon's example that he gave his children was godly wisdom. Yes, godly wisdom without obedience. And, uh, and that doesn't work. That doesn't work very well. As we know, children are greatly influenced by their parents' behavior. You know, and it's, and it's not always the case that children do exactly what their parents done. That's, that's not always the case. But, but for me, my heroes are those who have had a less than godly example and have said, no, it's going to change with me. The familial line of sin that has been going down for generations is going to stop here. It's not going any further. I'm going to do different for my family and for my children. Those are my heroes. So that's, that's, that's amazing. Taking that stand and saying, no, it's stopping right here. Well, verse 17 uh, says, Who forsakes the companion of her youth, her husband, and forgets the covenant of her God. You know, and we find uh, one of the most amazing examples of, of this uh, this very uh, point in uh, Malachi chapter two. So I'd I'd ask you to turn to Malachi chapter two, verses thirteen through sixteen. We're gonna, we're gonna this this will be worth your time. Uh, trust me on this. Malachi two, thirteen through sixteen says this. And the second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless. 
though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. He did, not, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Wow. Verse 13, are there, are there times in your life where you wonder why you know, God is not really speaking to you? I'm not really feeling it, Lord. I don't really feel we're close. What's going on here? Are you, are you not growing closer to him? Do you need to examine your life for sin that is blocking your relationship with the Lord? Do you need to ask the Lord, examine me, show me my sin, show me what I need to see, show me why uh, I, am, I am dry here spiritually or I'm struggling spiritually? Verse 15, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And uh, you, you remember uh, very clearly, you know, um, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, right? Two become one. So it's God's math. God, this, this works in God's math. One plus one equals one. Actually, one plus one plus one equals one. We're going to see that here in a second, right? But that's, but that's God's math. He, he set this up. And the two become one flesh. God takes the marriage covenant very, very seriously. Very seriously. I would argue a whole lot more seriously than you or I take the marriage covenant, is what I would argue. And he, he, he's, he's not messing around. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, you may have uh, heard this read at, uh, at a, a marriage ceremony. Um, it's commonly done there. Um, it's between uh, Proverbs and uh, Song of Solomon. Ah, there we go. Ecclesiastes 4, uh, starting in verse 9, 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good, report, a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if, lo- if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A cord of three, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, this unity between a husband and wife and God, it is a covenant with God and your husband and your wife. That's the way it is. And, and this this covenant is a, a threefold intertwined cord that is not easily broken. And Ecclesiastes 4 talks about that, but so does Micah, Micah 2. I'm sorry, Malachi 2, the passage we were in. Well, verse 15 asks the question And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. That's what the one true God wants. He wants godly offspring. Did Solomon pay for his lack of obedience with regards to women? Did he? Yes. Significantly. 
significantly. Um, his kingdom was divided as soon as he died. It was ripped apart, right? And uh, there was violence in his family, in, in and amongst his, his sons and, and family. Um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a significant... And he knew that this was going to happen. God told him this was going to happen while he was still, still alive. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, uh, you will remain on the throne, but as soon as you're gone, the kingdom will be, will be ripped apart. Um, children do suffer the effects of their parents' sin. They do suffer. It's not, it's not uh, that they can't recover, but they do suffer. Make no question, no question about it. A godly marriage that pursues godly wisdom with obedience is one where God is glorified. And it gives the best chance of raising a Christian heritage or godly offspring. Take note, being faithless to your wife, being faithless to your husband, doesn't just mean physical adultery. That's not the only meaning here. This is not a surprise to you. Jesus was clear regarding emotional and spiritual adultery, was he not? If you sin in your, in your mind, right, you have done so in your heart with anger, with adultery, right? And so it is a mental thing. It is, it is are, you, are you living to your, your marriage commitment in your mind, Absolutely, absolutely part of the question. It's a condition of the heart. Lusting with your eyes is as much a sin as adultery. If you don't like it, take it up with Jesus. That's what he said. Back to Proverbs 2. We read that the house of the forbidden woman is littered with the remains of those who have foolishly entered it. They don't return. Their life is over. It's done. It's gone. They have pursued that, and it's gone. That's what, that's what we're told here in Proverbs 2. But Proverbs chapter 2 concludes with a promise to the upright. A life of integrity will realize an inheritance. Uh, let's, let's look here at verse 21. For the upright will inha- inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Okay? Those who live a life of integrity will have an inheritance from the Lord. They will enjoy an inheritance from the Lord. But the wicked, it will be like the tree that's planted in a, in a great spot, but then it's taken up by its roots. The roots are gone. It's not cutting down the, the stump. It's not cutting down the trunk. Right? It's, it's uprooted by the roots and everything. It's gone. It's done. It's not growing. There's nothing there. That's, that's what the wicked, uh, uh, it says about the wicked here. The treacherous will be dug up by the roots. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to close our time with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Um, remember, C.S. Lewis um, was living in England uh, during World War II, and so keep that in mind as as uh, as I read this quote. I think this that will give a little perspective. And I see that this relates to us having a spiritual strength. Strategy. That's not easy to say, but I think I did pretty, pretty good there, right? This helps us have a spiritual strength strategy. It's from Mere Christianity, and it, it goes like this. Good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day are of such infinite importance. The smallest good act today 
is the capture of a strategic point from which a few months later you may be able to go on to, a, to victories you never dreamed of. An apparently trivial indulgence in lust or anger today is the loss of a ridge or a railway line or a bridgehead from which the enemy may launch an attack otherwise impossible. Wow. Well stated. The small things in our lives have huge impacts, huge consequences. We need to go to the gym and take care of business spiritually. 